DW Africa Link You're listening to DW's Africa Link program for the stories that are making headlines in Africa and the rest of the world. I'm Isaac Mugadi. And I am Buba Jalo. A very well, welcome from me as well. We would like to invite you to our Facebook page, DW Africa. Our address there, it's DW Africa. And we'll get your comment live. Coming up, with only 10 days to the general elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo DRC, opposition candidates say they're being attacked by unknown people. I did some outreach during the day, and once I finished, some unknown people waylaid me. After forcing me out of my car, they attacked me. I had a tarpaulin with my photo at the Goma Institute, but it was ripped off. And Rwanda has accused the DRC President Felix Tshisekedi of issuing a threat against President Paul Kagame after he compared him to Adolf Hitler during a speech. I think these were quite outrageous comments that Shishiketi made about Kagame. And this is a deliberate tactic by Shishiketi to try to make this election about Rwanda. We'll be back with the details of these stories, but first, the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. West African bloc ECOWAS says it will ease sanctions imposed on Niger after after July's military coup. ECOWAS plans to set up a committee of heads of state to work with Niger's military leaders on a return to civilian rule. But the bloc says the measures will be maintained if the junta refuses to comply with the committee. A new draft agreement at the UN Climate Conference in July in Dubai waters down possible action on limiting global warming. The latest text refers to reducing fossil fuels. An earlier draft spoke of phasing out the fuels. The COP28 talks are due to wind up in the next few hours. UN Chief Antonio Guterres. We are in a race against time. As I said at the opening of COP28, our planet is minutes to midnight for the 1.5 degree limit, and the clock keeps ticking. COP28 is scheduled to wrap up tomorrow, but there are still large gaps that need to be bridged. Now is the time for maximum ambition and maximum flexibility. The Red Cross has decried what it said was a deliberate attack on its humanitarian convoy in Sudan's war-torn capital, Khartoum. Sunday's assault killed two and injured seven others. The Red Cross said the wounded included three of its workers. It added that the vehicle in the convoy were all clearly marked with the Red Cross logo. The Sudanese army said the convoy came under fire after violating an agreement by approaching its defensive positions. AfricaLink News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. Spanish NGO Open Arms on Monday displayed clothes and a wrecked dinghy boat on a Barcelona beach. They were displayed to remember the migrants who died at sea trying to cross the Mediterranean. Open Arms says more than 2,600 people died this year on the perilous sea journey to Europe. The beach display caught the attention of passers-by. Well, it's not that easy because once you go through it, 
then you understand it's not that easy. You just want peace. Like everyone just wants like peace and prosperity and live longer, you know? And yeah, I feel bad for especially the children because I mean, when you die like one year old, two years old, you have like the whole life in front of you and, and it's not that easy. Ours should be like this. It should be political and it should be a conversation starter. It's just one of the ways that we can talk about these things instead of ignoring them, I think. So for me, this is working because people are watching and talking about it. Finally, the UN mission in Mali has ended a 10-year deployment in the West African country. The pullouts had been ordered by Mali's military leaders. The mission, MINUSMA, lowered the UN flag on its HQ in the capital Bamako, according to its spokesperson. She said the symbolic ceremony marks the official end of the mission, even though some elements of it are still there. And that's the latest. I'm Keith Walker. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program broadcast every weekday from Monday to Friday. Once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Buba Jalo here. We would like to hear from you. Go to Facebook. Our address is DW Africa and tell us what you think about this story. And uh, Buba, by the way, before first things first, we'll come back to the show again. For those of you who have been wondering where <laughs> Buba is, he, he is back where it all began and Indeed. continues to. Indeed. Yeah. Good to have you on the show, Buba, once Thanks again. Thanks for having me here, man. Now, with just 10 days to the general election in the Democratic Republic of Congo, candidates are already complaining of harassment. And in the Eastern DRC, particularly Goma, some candidates claim they have been victims of sabotage where unknown people are removing their posters. Zanem Neti Zaidi report from Goma. Silvana Muninga, a candidate for the National Assembly, claims to have been the victim of two attacks since the start of her election campaign. He has had difficulty carrying out his campaign activities. I did some outreach during the day, and once I finished, I started heading home. Once I arrived at the entrance of my home, some unknown people waylaid me. After forcing me out of my car, they attacked me, taking everything, including my phone. Namuninga's case is not isolated. Other candidates also say supporters of their opponents have attacked them and in some cases removed their posters, as explained by Roger Binzika, a member of an opposition political party, the rally for Congolese democracy. I had a tarpaulin with my photo at the Goma Institute, but it was ripped off. Other tarpaulins I put up in various districts were also taken down. My team is still wandering up to now who is sabotaging our campaign efforts. Civil society groups like the Action for Development, Civic Education, and the defense of human rights in DRC say that the law is strict regarding the violation of candidates' rights during election campaigns. Karpat Tulinabo, a member of the group, calls on all candidates to respect the electoral law. All those who tear down candidates' posters, all those who commit violations or abuses during the campaign period, must know that the law will deal with them. We must not accept serious violations during the campaign period committed by any side, whether those in power or from the opposition. The campaign must respect the norms and principles of electoral law. 
The Independent National Election Commission says it is determined to organize the vote on the 20th in accordance with the electoral calendar, even though it is reporting problems deploying electoral materials throughout the country. And it's all about elections at the moment in the DR Congo, right, Isaac? Yeah, that's very true. Uh, things are getting out of hand, and many people expected that in the DRC. Remember, even five years ago, that was the similar case. Indeed, indeed. And that was a report by Zanem Zaidi. Now, Isaac, mm. we saw a firing president, Felix Chisikedi, mm-hmm. rallying thousands of supporters at the stadium in a conflict ridden eastern region of the DRC on Sunday. This marked one of Chisikedi's final campaign sweeps through the country in the lead up to the elections that will take place mid next week. Now, Chisikedi was in Bukavu and Goma, two towns that share a border with Rwanda. Well, Buba, beyond that story that you've introduced it, Chisikedi directed most of his ire or his anger towards his neighbour. And guess who that is? Of course, none other than President Paul Kagame in neighbouring Rwanda. Rather than his opponents, like many people, expected where he's vying for a second term leading to the, the nation of the hundred million people or so. Sekedi compared Kagame to be specific to Adolf Hitler. Well I spoke to Phil Clark from SOAS and a researcher on the Great Lakes region on that comparison of Kagame and Hitler. We shall talk about this but let's take a listen to what uh, Phil Clark said. I think these were quite outrageous comments that Shishikedi made about Kagame and this is a deliberate tactic by Shishikedi to try to make this election about Rwanda and, and about Congo's neighbours. Uh, this is quite consistent with what Shishikedi has been saying over the last few weeks. He's been blaming the situation of conflict and insecurity in the east of the country on Rwanda. He's trying to distance himself from any responsibility for that insecurity. He's tapping into some pre-existing anti-Rwanda sentiment that's quite widespread in the eastern part of the country uh, at the moment. Um, And so in in some ways, this was uh, sadly quite predictable language um, from Sisekedi, but certainly inflammatory in terms of Congo's relationship with Rwanda. Now, Sekedi has previously described Rwanda as, quote-unquote, a horrible neighbour and accused it of wanting to monopolise the wealth particularly mining in Eastern DRC. To what extent has that rhetoric from uh, Tsekedi worked in his favour? The sad thing is that Shishikedi's language has been quite popular uh, in, in some sections of Eastern Congo, even in the last 48 hours. He he is tapping into something that's quite deep-seated uh, in the East at the moment, uh, which is a very strong sense of anti-Rwanda sentiment, um, a sense that the M23 rebellion is very much the work uh, of Kagame and Kigali. And Shishikedi knows this. He knows that that perception is already there and he's trying to tap into it. Um, But what he's also doing is is hiding his own responsibility for that insecurity and the failure of his government to bring any kind of peace and stability to the East uh, since he's been president. Um, And so in that sense, I think we're seeing a denial of responsibility at the heart of the type of language that he's using at the moment. And do you think the West also sees it this way, that uh, largely Tsekedi has failed on some fronts and is blaming Kagame or Rwanda for that matter? I think that this is the international perception, that that this is a deflection tactic by Shishikedi, to to blame the conflict on other parties uh, without himself taking 
responsibility. Um, even in the last uh, few weeks, we've seen Shishiketi really veering all over the place uh, in terms of his response to the conflict in the East. Uh, he just kicked out uh, the East African community forces. Uh, he's bringing in SADAC forces uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there really is not a clear strategy here. And, and that's reflective of Shishiketi's lack of a strategy really since day one of his presidency. I think most international uh, observers recognize that he's not in control and, and that what he's saying about Rwanda at the moment is, is quite a desperate attempt to make it Kigali's problem rather than Shishiketi's problem. And finally, Phil, how would you describe then the current relations uh, between Rwanda and Tsekedi himself and also DRC and other East African member countries? This is a low point for relations between Rwanda and Congo. And it should be remembered that when Shishiketi first became president, he went to Kigali very early on and tried to rebuild relations there. And, and we saw Congo and Rwanda get back on a, on a better footing. In fact, it, it had been perhaps the best period of that relationship um, for the last 10 or 15 years. We're, we're not in that situation now. Uh, things are incredibly tense. Uh, there have been very barbed comments made on both sides of the border. Wh whoever wins the presidency in Congo on the 20th of December is, is going to have their work cut out for them uh, in terms of rebuilding this relationship with, with one of Congo's most important neighbours, uh, namely Rwanda. But there's also some responsibility on Rwanda's side. I think Kigali also needs to play its part in, in helping uh, the situation of stability in the East, uh, toning down some of the political rhetoric. Uh, this is very much a, a two-way relationship and, and both parties have to play their part uh, in, in, in bringing something much more peaceful to the region. I was speaking to Phil Clark from SOAS on the recent comparison of Kagame to Hitler by the president of the DRC, Felix Sekedi. Buba, we have some comments. Let's just delve straight into them. Indeed, Kasom Chikweza says, a bad carpenter always blames his tools in-house cleaning first before you start cleaning outside. And Mume Ndaga Napoleon says, Rwanda is a neighbor, DRC should have helped to fight off those guys. If those people are near Rwanda and Rwanda is doing nothing, then Kagame is behind the attacks. Hmm. Uh, uh, Don Clark Ngem says, even if Kagame is backing the rebels, ask yourself, what is the reason for the rebels fighting? Well, Randile Zimbo says, yes, a dictator indeed. I think in reference to Rwanda's president Kagame there, he wonders, how can he stay in power for more than 20 years? Hmm. Indeed, that is a serious accusation. It's so a serious... calling someone uh, Hitler who is responsible for the death of millions of people, including 6 million Jews and so many minorities. That's, yeah, I mean, that's even the government serious. reacted through its spokesperson who said, no, that is really below the belt. And you can tell us what you think about this story by going to our Facebook page, DW Africa. And if you are just joining us, this is DW's Africa Link coming to you live from Bonn in Germany. Thanks to all of you. If you have been staying with us, my name is Puba Jalo. And once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. Join us as usual on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where the show is live. And we also appreciate our listeners via our partner stations. Big thumbs up to you, David Nchamba, who's always listening live to us. Yes, tell us what you think about the stories that we are going to cover. Buba. Indeed. Now, still to come, South Africa Election Commission voting ballot paper is getting bigger after applications from over 70 new political parties ahead of the 2024 elections. Like all 
all South Africans I have watched as our countries declined over the past decade in particular, but our politics is broken. And if we don't fix the politics, uh, there's no way out of this decline. And so I decided that I should raise my hand to step forward. But, you know, we'd like to be part of the solution. 70 parties, Isaac. Oh, that's that's a whole lot. I, I doubt there is there, there is a threshold of the, saying, let's say 50%, I think, and now try to win. Then you win the presidency. <laughs> Otherwise, 70 political parties. That is... It's the rainbow nation. It's the rainbow nation. But again, hmm, well, let's leave it to our listeners telling us what they think about 70 new political parties in South Africa. We shall get that story. But we now head to Zimbabwe, where drought-related heat has killed dozens of elephants in the country's popular Hwangin National Park. Conservationists say more elephants could die if the dry conditions caused by climate change and the El Nino weather patterns continue. Now, the 14,000-square-meter park has no major river running through it and solely relies on solar-powered boreholes. But the water table has gone low and limiting the amount of water that can be pumped. Well, Zimbabwe, to remind you, is home to about 100,000 elephants with, within the Hwangi National Park, accounting for more than half on the continent. DW's uh, correspondent, Privilege Mushani, visited the National Park and filed this report. Cicada insects buzzing. The sound of the insects is locally believed to signal rain. But ironically, here in the Hwangi National Park, there is no sign of that happening soon. The dry weather conditions have killed dozens of elephants. Carcasses of dead elephants are visible around the drying waterholes. Principal ecologist at the park, Daphne Matlamoto, says some elephants are also dying in the bush. Wangi National Park has been receiving less and less rainfall over the years. Also, our temperatures has increased. We are recording temperatures up to 43 degrees Celsius. With climate change, there is less water. Since elephants are water-dependent, we're also experiencing some die-offs. At this waterhole, a fight for dominance to drink water is on. There is high competition for the elephants to drink. About 104 solar-powered boreholes service the park with water from underground aquifers. Elephants are heavy drinkers, with a fully grown mammal consuming 200 liters a day. Parks officials like Daphne fear that water will soon dry up. It's a painful situation. As a conservationist, my wish is to see these animals continuing to survive or to thrive in the system so that the future generation can be able to see these animals and we can also continue to benefit from the ecosystem services that we are provided by this wildlife. Conservation groups like the International Federation for Animal Welfare are trying to help with the crisis by enhancing the pumping capacity of the solar wells. However, they believe the long-term solution is for wildlife to be put at the center of climate change agenda. Arnold Tsipa, a field operations manager at the International Federation for Animal Welfare, explains. Animals are not only victims but also are partners in that they are critical as they promote the generation of forests across landscapes. These landscapes then act as carbon sinks that are critical in climate change. 
kettlebells from a local farmer's head lift Sibanda shares the boundary with Wange National Park. He fears human and wildlife conflict could worsen if the current drought persists. The late rains have affected us. We usually start planting in November, so that by the first week of March, we will be harvesting. Elephants usually come to our fields in March. If the rains do not come anytime soon, we may plant late to harvest in April, and elephants will destroy our crops. There is no sign of rain. Climate change has really affected us. Zimbabwe's rainy season runs from November to March, but it has barely rained so far this year. Weather forecasters are predicting a drought that will affect large parts of Southern Africa and most likely to continue into 2024. Privileged Mushanuri with that report from the Huangi National Park in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I mean, Buba for me, I, I love elephants, I love nature and wildlife, and every day to get a dose away from the politics, I watch National Geographic, and it's a pity to see, for me, for me at least, you know, to hear the, this kind of story, elephants dying in dozens. And you know what? Elephants have something special about them. When they find a carcass of their own, they stay there and mourn it. Yeah, They stay there, they visualize, they mourn it, and more often, they do remember that family member. Indeed. They had. You know, they stop trumpeting, they converge around it, and that's... They're very, how very it emotional. Very emotional. Yeah. But I think Zimbabwe should also consider um, redistributing animals exactly. to other African countries. Yeah, like South Africa. Have or have the resources. Yeah, the jumbos, although they are heavy, you know, trans- locating them is not like uh, giving out gifts, you know, like uh, rhinos or lions. Indeed, indeed. Now, um, let's go, let's stay in, in Southern Africa and go to South Africa where political parties are mushrooming and popping up like popcorn mm. and as the country prepares for national elections next year, renowned business people, civil society activists and some veteran politicians are among those forming political parties. Well, the development has raised questions on whether this is a genuine appetite to save the country from the current road. It's driven by greed to join the gravy train of looting public resources. More to that, Tuzok Malo reports from Johannesburg. The change starts now is the latest new kid on the block to join dozens of political parties that have been formed since South Africa's last national elections. The party, which is only a few days old, is led by Roger Jardine, a respected business leader who was the chairperson of the first run group that owns the First National Bank and other financial entities. It has also attracted renowned social justice activists like Mark Haywood, who co-founded and led two human rights organizations, Treatment Action Campaign and Section 27, fighting for access to health care and basic education. Jadin has made his intentions and agenda clear. Like all South Africans, I have watched as our country's declined over the past decade in particular, But our politics is broken. And if we don't fix the politics, uh, there's no way out of this decline. And so I decided that I should raise my hand to step forward. But, you know, we'd like to be part of the solution. But others have come straight out of the ruling ANC to build their new political homes. Esma Hashule, the expelled ANC Secretary General, formed his own African Congress for Transformation in September. 
He too is pointing all his five fingers at the ruling ANC, a party he led at the highest level. We are here because we have suffered collective betrayal as a people and a nation at the hands of the people who claim to be our leaders. We have been sold out with few pieces of silver. Another part also contributing to the mushrooming political parties is by Masizole Nasela, a former spokesperson of the Democratic Alliance Party in the Western Cape. He launched his Alliance of Citizens for Change in July. These are just but a few of many parties formed this year alone. With nearly 600 political parties having contested the local government elections in 2021, political analysts say it's a matter of time before the list hits the 1,000 mark. Political analyst Sandy Leswana says it's clear that the weakening of the ruling ANC, dismal performance of the state and poor service delivery have all triggered the mushrooming of these parties. Every other South African out there thinks that they can better represent themselves. Nobody is trusting the so-called main political parties anymore. The ANC Secretary General Figile Mbalula is not amused by many outfits filling up the political breathing space. They are forming a lot of small political parties to defeat the ANC. And they are putting a lot of money to support this project. Just last October, several political parties formed a multi-party charter which they described as a coalition meant to stop the ANC from getting 50% of the vote next year. And Swana says, with the ANC having been on a decline in support since 2009, the latest development could see the ruling party getting below 50% of the vote. Tuzo Kumalo with that report. We asked you on our Facebook page whether it's the same in your country and whether you think the number of parties is good for democracy. But we have comments. We do. We have Moses Saketende who says, having many political parties is a sign of selfishness and splitting of votes. Well, this is actually towing the line of the ANC party. Mm, Johnson Nyerikal says, it's not bad to have many political parties in the country. That's the beauty of democracy. But the voters need to be educated, wise and patriotic in making decisions for the best interest of their country. Wow. Indeed. Uh, Mohammed Da Abdullah, he says, if you limit your political parties, you will simply shackle your democracy. Democracy is for the people, but not for the parties. <laughs> Interesting comment. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you continue to say parties are a simple political vehicle through which voters reflect their opinion. The last one uh, is from Francis Mwaula Jilo, says, Sam to Zambia here, more than 25 political parties. Oof. Well, well, thanks for those comments. Really appreciate it. You can always keep it up to DW Africa. That's our Facebook page. Africa Link. Sport. 
Okay, as usual now, it's time to give you a dose of some sports. Yeah, to round up the day, we are taking a step to the world of sports. The weekend was full of interesting matches. I had Booba here, you know, was on top of his game, you know, commentating Bayern Munich and Edward Frankfurt. <laughs> Booba, first of all, first things first, tell me about the highlights. I had you enjoying yourself with Alex and stuff. <laughs> well, 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 we were very much surprised, as much as everyone, as mm. Bayern actually... Hum, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt humbled Bayern yes. Munich. Mm. It, it was a bit funny, you know. A lot of people were saying the Bayern players they had ten days of rest because the game that they were supposed to play against Union Berlin got cancelled because of snow. And mm. there were photos, there were photos of their coach Thomas Tuchel and Harry Kane and some of the players in the Alps mm-hmm. going on ski and having fun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so people were like, uh, these guys enjoyed too much and they forgot how to play football. Anyways, it was a terrible, terrible play by Bayern. Harry Kane was nowhere to be seen. Mm. And even the forward, they did have Kingsley Kumar on the right. They did have Leroy Sané on the left, the usual forward. Harry no Kane excuse, everyone was there. Everyone was there. Leroy Goreska, um, um, uh, Joshua Kimmich, everyone was basically there. Actually, it's Donald scored their one, one goal that they managed yeah, to, to scrape. Yeah, it, it, was, it was so funny that... Um, you, you you see the usual Bayern. You mm. see that they determined to play something, but the passes were not going to. Maybe the legs they were, are still frozen. Yeah, from, from exactly. The ski trip. Yeah. They were trying to be very tactical, playing from the back and pushing deep, but it didn't work out. Mm. It, it's just like Eintracht were fast. Mm. They were very very fast. They were really good. They at were determined. committed right from the beginning. Right from when they said kick off, mm-hmm. Eintracht Frankfurt were on the go. They pushed all the way to the end and that paid off for them. Another game I'm sure that you're watching, you know, on your second screen because you always have screens there was the game between Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig. That was another one. Uh, a little bit disappointing for Matt Hummels, who caused that penalty there mm. and uh, got thrown out. I mean, he did go out on um, and apologize after Borussia Dortmund lost 2-3 two, two, to RB Leipzig. I yeah, mean, yeah. this was a home game. And Borussia Dortmund, I would say they are pretty much in a good position right now, but yeah. that was a disappointing loss for them. By the way, before we wind up, our next game next weekend will be Borussia Dortmund versus Augsburg. And we have something special. We'll be having a lady also commentating. Guess who it is? Stay with us and tune in on Saturday. It's a surprise. I was going to give that out, but it's a surprise now, right? Yes. Okay, from us, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Buba Jalo. Until next time, bye now. DW. Made for Minds.